Suck it, suck. Blog Talk Radio. Show me your booty. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest of And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. Welcome to this episode of the show. Where tonight, we're going to be talking about the Ghoul Geek Keith's film pick of the week, Happy Birthday to Me, from 1981 and directed by J. Lee Thompson. We were supposed to do this episode last week, just in time for the Ghoul's birthday, but we decided to let him have some fun, so we do it this uh, week for a belated birthday gift. And also... What a great way to kick off the year that is 2024 with a birthday celebration. So without further ado, let's introduce him, the bold and the beautiful, the Ghoul Geek Keith. Oh, happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Yes, indeed. Last week was my birthday on Wednesday, the day that we always do this show. Uh, but no, I was out getting dinner and, and all of that stuff, and I just did not feel like being rushed. After all, it was my birthday. It, it was my party, and I'd cry if I wanted to, so... I did. I did indeed. And uh, yes, but here we are wow. this week, ready for a bright and shiny new episode of Talking Town. Wow. Wow. And the first of 2024. So look at that, folks. We made it to 2024. God be damned, we survived another one. So we're in 2024. And we're also joined by the very opinionated, very educated, the demonic dean, everybody. Welcome to 2024, yes. sir. Thank you so much, King of Horror. And even though I said it before, I will say it again since he was just crying about it. Another uh, happy birthday to the ghoul. And yes, uh, uh, welcome uh, to our our first edition here in 2024 with uh, our new format uh, with our dearly departed monkey. Uh, So we're rattling our cages in tribute to you. And we're ready. We're ready to go and see what happens in this iteration of talking. He didn't die. Just to be certain, he's still alive. I didn't kill him yet, but uh, no, he is no longer doing the show because of uh, adulting, as it happens. But uh, last week it was your birthday, Ghoul. What did you do? Anything exciting? How was your seventieth? Was it fun? Yeah, tell us. Well, you know, man, I can't because of the seventy NBA, years uh, Seventy years, absolutely. <laughs> uh, man, I, I fucking, you know what? I'm, I'm unfortunately closer to that than I'd like to admit. Um, yeah, no, you know, we really didn't do anything crazy or anything, anything fun or exciting on my birthday itself. It was, you know, just a typical work day for me, and I, uh, I did get off of work a little bit early, and uh, yeah, from there we just ended up kind of hanging around and uh you know we we ended up hitting like a local diner for dinner you know we thought maybe we'd do something you know something a little more interesting like a rainforest cafe or something silly like that but then i don't know the evening rolled around and the idea of like trooping out somewhere far and knowing that i still had work and shit the next day just was like yeah whatever especially since for me last week thursday was my friday because i uh Mm. took friday off and took uh, i made it a four-day weekend for the new year since i had one more uh vacation day left 
Nice. All right. And uh, you were telling us in the group chat, you did a little bit of altered states kind of experience uh, with immersion that, therapy. That I did for my birthday. Yeah, not on my birthday. But yes, uh, you know, the, uh, the Goo Girl got me quite uh, a phenomenal birthday present. You know, she's known for years that I've wanted to do one of those, uh, like an ISO tank, you know, immersion type mm-hmm. of therapy session. And uh, she found a place that's over in like the Middletown Red Bank area. And, uh, and she set me up with like a 60-minute uh, session, and I was like, you know what, I know a lot of times I'll end up getting something like that, or, you know, like we, we were at a uh, a walk a couple of months ago, and we ended up winning, like, free yoga or, like, these other types of uh, holistic sound healing drum circle session type of deal, um, up in like New Brunswick or whatever it is. And like, we still haven't taken advantage of it. You know, like it's one of those where trying to find the time for two people and me taking a day off of work. They don't do sessions on weekends and all this and that. So, you know what? It just happened that I had put in for that day off anyway. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to check and see what their scheduling looks like. And they had a couple of, uh, windows that looked like they were doable for me on Friday. So I just picked it and said, you know what? I'll fucking send this shit. And yeah, you know, I saw, I saw altered states many, many, you know, however many years ago. I think me and the dean wa- watched that together. We we uh, did. You know, in, we in did. the house, we and, definitely did. You know, I I know he became a monster in that movie, but you know, for me, it just the idea of it just seemed very interesting, and uh, and it did not disappoint like whatsoever. Uh, you know, like the, it's it's not a cylindrical tube or like an egg-shaped device like you saw in the movie. It's it's it looks like a a large shower with like a, a sloping ceiling, essentially. So like you know you'll you'll go you shower off and then you walk into like through a small door into the next room that has your tub. Your tub's like I don't know maybe maybe got like a foot or so of of, of heavily salted water in it. So, you know, you just lay yourself in there. They throw on, like, you have earplugs in and stuff, and then they throw on, like, two minutes of music. And then as soon as the music ends, boom, lights go completely out, and you're in just full darkness. Like, you don't know if your eyes are open or closed. You know, and I played around just to try to see. And, like, you know, first couple of minutes are like, you know, the first couple of minutes I'm laying there in the water, and I'm like, oh, okay, so 60 minutes. How is this going to go by? Like, do I just start counting or, or like what? You know, like I, I didn't exactly know, like, where to drift myself at that point. But then as I slowly, like, relaxed into it, you know, and tested the boundaries a little bit, saw how I could float, where I could float. And, like, you know, obviously you're fully buoyant. Half your body's out of the water. But, like, I and achieved. Naked. And naked. Very naked. Very, like, you know, mm. kind of slimy, too. You know, obviously, like, I grabbed my pecker to see what that felt like, and I was like, ooh. But, you know, then the, the idea of, like, other other people whacking it in there, and I'm laying in this fucking thing, and I'm just like, oh, God, I'm like, I could never, could never be a part of that. <laughs> um, it's not my kind of fucking pool party. So, uh, so, yeah, but I don't know. Like, I just, I hit this point where, like, I just kind of, like, let my mind float away, and as I was laying there buoyant and, like, weightless essentially like you know all of a sudden like I could feel it where I couldn't tell if I was laying horizontal or vertical anymore um and kind of like fell into this drift and I could feel like my body's joints like cracking and popping and it almost sounded like like breaking glass so to speak you know and I guess that was like my body kind of like just finally like relaxing and allowing certain things to like 
maybe adjust a little bit and move that otherwise can't because of gravity. Uh, you know, and as somebody who was fucking tremendous back pain, you know, that was fucking, that was great. And then, uh, yeah, I just started kind of like just thinking about like all the shit that kind of like bothered me over the course of the year and just the things that like stressed me and everything. And I don't know, like I just hit this point where I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to let these things go. And like, as I kind of like did so, like I reached this point where like, I just, a fucking smile, like just kind of like hit my face. And like in my head at that moment, I said to myself, you know, like this would be like the perfect time for this to end. And boom, the spa music kicked on, which signified about two minutes until the fucking session was over. So like, it went like perfectly, you know what I mean? I was like, this was great. And like, I got out of there, my fucking body felt amazing. Like I had like flexibility, some range of motion. I could move around. You know, a couple of days later now, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a little stiffer, <laughs> feeling, feeling the effects of fucking life and work again. But, uh, but it was definitely something that I will certainly do again and, uh, and, and highly recommend it. It was, it was really a great session. It felt really good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've done it uh, once myself, and I know because um, there's a spa in downtown that does it. And I was trying to explain it to the monkey on Friday night exactly what you were doing, and he just didn't understand it. Like, it fucking blew his mind. He's like, so you just pay to lay in salt water? And I was like, well, it's supposed to be like an immersion. Like, you know, you're supposed to let your mind take over and shit. And, you know, you're supposed to relax. And, and the world fades away. He's like, but he's like, I would fucking just drown. He's like, I, I don't float in water. I was like, no, there, there's salt in the water. He why is there salt in the water? And then I'm like, because you got to float. I was like, just fucking, I'll pay for your next birthday. I'll pay for you to do immersion therapy. And I was like, all right. He's like, no, I don't want to die. He's like, I'll drown. He's like, I'm not good in water. I was like, it's not that much water. He's like, yeah, but and I was like, oh. <laughs> poor guy. He was just fucking mind blown. He's like, but what is it? And I was like, and I just, he's like, I've never seen altered states. What the fuck is that? I was like, oh, come on. First of all, you need to see altered states. Uh, and then, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if showing him that is really the best way to get him to go. He might get excited. He might be even more into it if he sees altered states first. <laughs> and he was like, oh, shit. I was like, you know. He's like, you're just laying in there in the dark? He's, I was like, yeah, that's about it. I was like, it's sensory deprivation. Well, that just sounds like hell. And I was like, no, it's supposed to be nice. He's like, and you pay for this. I was like, yes. <laughs> I've never had somebody ask me so many questions before about immersion therapy. I was like, just, just I'll, I'll, next birthday, I'll buy it. A little monkey's trying to learn, that's all. Yeah. I, I don't know. He just, he was so stunned that people would pay for this. I'm like, he's like, people pay for that? I was like, yeah, people do. I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, they do. He's, it's it's stunning. Is that what people will spend their money on? Like, well, if it's a gift, then you don't worry about it. You just say thank you and you fucking do it, you asshole. If I'm paying for it, you're gonna fucking enjoy right. it. Go trip out. You're damn straight. <laughs> you know, enjoy it. Um, but yeah, so that's it's cool that you did that, and you know maybe you have another session. But uh, you know, and Dean, with you being back in the new year, how was your New Year's and and uh, the week that you had off from the show? Uh, just fine. And 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 I just want to say real quick. Uh, that I have done the immersion uh, tank as well. I've done it twice. Oh, great. Um, mm-hmm. One time, one time was better than the other, and like I've done it twice, like I said. So I can well, make the judgment call. I, I, which? Which one was better out of the two? I think I think the first one. Okay. Uh, I just overall, um, I don't. It just you know, I'm I'm grateful to have had the opportunity and the experience but i think it just uh just in general kind of like wasn't for me and um on the other side of the coin 
you know, Nicole loved it. Um, and uh, there was a there was a float studio uh, here in our town in California. And in the in learning that it was in between learning of its existence and moving like it, it closed. So it was never open when we arrived here. Uh, but we did it uh, twice in New Jersey. There was a place, I think, in Ocean. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's cool. But as far as New Year's, um, uh, you know, lot just busy, busy, busy um, traveling uh, last week for the holidays and seeing family on both sides and trying to evade all of the sickness going around, which so far we seem to have been able to do. Because uh, it's like everybody was sick, and um, you know, as far as New Year's itself, very, very low key. Uh, we just chilled here at home. We had one friend come over, and base. It was just a very, very chill night. Uh, just uh, you know, kind of just had some candles lit, and uh, I made a bunch of like snack foods, and we just like played records and hung out, and like that was that was kind of it for as far as New Year's Eve is concerned and um, the way the calendar worked out. I'm grateful to have uh, this week off of work uh, post New Year. So, um, you know, everything in the holidays was, was just, just fine. Uh, the travel uh, on the way out uh, was as easy as could be. Um, and for the most part, fairly easy on the way back as well. So it's very uneventful oh, good. holiday season. Yes. Excellent. It's a good time that you're off this week. I was off last week uh, from my job. I went back to work this week after New Year's. And last week I just discovered the, the fucking splendor that is J&B uh, Scotch whiskey. Um, so I went through a couple bottles of those. Um, fantastic Ooh. stuff. I, I'm, I don't do beer anymore. I quit beer. So I was like, I want to try something else. And I was like, oh, my Lord, Scotch whiskey is my, is my boy. Like It was very comfortable. Uh, my aunt in California actually got me a whiskey glass for uh, Christmas. Didn't even realize that I was on whiskey now. Um, and it's just, it, it's wonderful. A couple of glasses, watched a couple of Italian horror flicks, really got into it with the J&B. And uh, it's a great, uh, comfortable, comfortable holiday where I didn't do too much either myself. I just, I was home for most of it. I got a lot of sleeping done, which I was glad to do. And a lot of reading done, because I bought a bunch more books. I shouldn't have bought more, but I bought like five more books, so... They're on my coffee table, slowly making my way down the list. 2024, the making ghoul, my way for new books. Yes, I said mm-hmm. the ghoul, a fun book that I recently got as well. Um, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. What a read. What yeah. a read. Is it? I'm yeah. fucking enjoying it so much, man. Like, I'm only like <laughs> two or three chapters in, but, like, you know, again, it's like the, it's perfect toilet reading. And, like, it's even just like when you're just chilling. Like, if you don't feel like getting into anything deep. But, like, again, these are all guys that are, like, they're just so intrinsically tied to the entirety of my fucking, like, my youth and my, my life in just so many ways that, like, there's just, there's no way that you go wrong with a book like, I mean, obviously, listen, somebody, the, the guy that wrote the book, he did a great job. Like, you know, I think the presentation of it is fantastic. The, the writing style that he used makes it, like, very entertaining. Um, you know, the, the, the book in question is The Last Action Heroes, The Triumphs, Flops, and Feuds of Hollywood's Kings of Carnage, uh, written by Nick Dace. Uh, I'm going to probably butcher it, but Semlian, it looks like. Uh, Nick Semlian. Maybe it's French. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just absolutely fucking phenomenal. I mean, you got, like, Chuck Norris, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Van Damme. You know, like, the initial framework is just, you know, it's, it's, it's basically Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And, uh, and, and just to... Uh, 
the myriad fucking heroes of the 1980s that all just came to the rescue of, of a depressed fucking country after it came out of the 70s, you know, after losing fucking Vietnam and everything. It's just great. Fucking great. Dude, seriously, I opened the box and I saw the book. Like, seriously, Dean, the smile on my face just seeing the cover was just like fucking A. And then, like, again, just flipping through it, I'm just like, wow, this is going to be fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, the, the one I, we were, you know, all relatively like the proper age for everything that that book is talking about. And of course, at the time, uh, you know, through the period of all of those movies, like we're just like young, impressionable, wide eyed moviegoers uh, watching all of that stuff and not having any clue at all, uh, you know, what kind of drama or situations or troubles in production and whatnot were going on at all behind the scenes. Uh, so, you know, to, to get a lot of these stories and how a lot of stuff uh, made it to the screen, uh, the different rivalries and between performers and how those manifested themselves. It's just, it's just super fun. And, uh, you know, it's been great to, to, to have an opportunity to read this stuff. You guys might remember, like, at the, the, this time last year, I, I was gifted that gigantic fucking book about all of the fucking um, Sam Furstenberg movies. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, you know, the American Ninja and Avenging Force and the Break-In. And, like, I just, I fucking love it. It's just been so much fun to, to, to dig in into that stuff. There's a there's a three book series about the greater uh, canon universe um, that I'm looking forward to, to getting into when I have some like gift money or something as well. But, um, you know, super fun reading, super fun reading. Did, uh, Dean, did you ever see the documentary about canon films? Electric Boogaloo? I, the Wild Untold I, Story I, about I canon did. films? I did. Yeah. I did. So, so much good. fun. It, it's mm-hmm. fucking wild, the whole story of canon. And just how it came and those to guys be. are so, fucking. Those guys, those guys are, yeah. are crazy. Uh, those guys were crazy. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyway. it's wild. It's, it, it really is. But yes. Uh, put that out of the way. Um, we have a new oh, year, new us. Uh, what are we talking about tonight with horror news? What do you got, Dave? Michael Oh man, where do we start off um, for for this? Um, this new year, this uh, 2024, where do we begin? And uh, I guess uh, uh, the place to begin uh, centers around some news uh, dating just a few two days ago to January 1st. Uh, and that's where some of the earliest uh, appearances of Mickey Mouse uh, have hmm. entered the public domain with the most notable uh, being Mickey Mouse's appearance in Steamboat Willie. Uh, and since this has become public domain, uh, immediately uh, horror movies are being <laughs> created, of course. Uh, the, the first uh, was a short film uh, that uh, is going to be coming out called uh, The Vanishing of Steamboat Willie. 
Um, there's another one that's already deep in to production uh, that is called uh, um, the Mouse Death Trap. Uh, yes, uh, the um, yes, the Mouse de- Death Trap or Mouse Death Mouse Death Trap. Yeah, Mickey's Mouse Trap. Mickey's Mouse Trap. Mickey, Mickey Mouse um, Death Trap. I think it is or something like Mickey, that. Yes, yeah. it. Mickey Mouse Trap. Right. It's into into <laughs> production and now. Uh, while untitled, there is another one on the way from Terrifier 2 producers uh, Stephen Della Sala and Michael Levy with director Stephen Lamorte uh, that is going to be loosely based on the actual Steamboat Willie story where a sadistic mouse uh, torments a group of unsuspecting ferry passengers. Uh, so, um, you know, not even waiting for the, the stamp to dry on the metaphorical public domain um, entrance of, of this stuff. So uh, they're hard at work uh, crafting uh, these delights for all of us to, to, to get to see. Uh, even a couple of video games got announced, too, with uh, Steamboat Willie, um, you know, right after the movies. Because, like you said, Dean, it seems like as soon as that fucking ink dried, as soon as like, it's a public domain, everybody's like, I got a fucking movie, I got a video game, I have a TV show, like, let's fucking go. Let's get this fucking mouse killing people as fast as we can. Like, it, it was amazing to see the flood of uh, trailers mm-hmm. and things like that that are going to be coming out featuring uh, well, just, that just fucking like mouse. Just like Bear, you know what I mean? It's, a, uh, it's something that's mm-hmm. been, been looming. You know, everybody knew it was coming, and, and everybody wants to make a profit off of it. You know, I mean, it is fucking Mickey Mouse. Uh, now, now, if I remember reading it correctly... Uh, the, you have the ability to, you know, use it as long as it is the 1928 version of Mickey Mouse. Uh, I mean, yeah. That is the yeah. one that the, the copyright has uh, has gone public to. So, yes, which isn't a far stretch from the modern day Mickey Mouse, except that it has a little, you know, captain's hat on. You know, I mean, it looks pretty much just like Mickey Mouse in the current iteration. Yeah. So, but yeah. I mean, there's been, yeah, there's, mm-hmm. there's been slight changes and, and, and alterations. But, yeah, nothing nothing crazy, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, there, yeah. There, there are, you know, obviously there are some differences. They've, they've updated the look in order to kind of circumvent this kind of thing from happening anyway. But it, it's still Mickey Mouse, you know. Mickey is Mickey, and that's that's the big thing is the name. You can use the name Mickey Mouse. Yeah, that's... It's just fucking wild. Oh, <laughs> I would kick off 2024. It's like Michael Eisner on the phone. This is Mickey Mouse. Dude, <laughs> yeah. wait, oh. I was just like, I was joking around with like a bunch of my friends. I'm like, listen, you know, it's not even too far of a stretch, but wait till the fucking porn parody comes out of Mickey fucking Pooh. You literally it's have the happen. ability now to make a Mickey Mouse fucking <laughs> Winnie the Pooh like parody. Mickey takes a poo. Directed by Axel Fury. On poo. Poo <laughs> on poo. <laughs> Yeah. Hot poo on poo action. Uh, yeah, it's it's gonna happen. There's gonna be a porn parody of that coming along the way, but it's just the possibilities are endless. Already, artists are making like Mickey Mouse fuck other characters and shit like that. The Steamboat Willie character, like, oh, oh. yeah, it's already started. <laughs> it just happened like an hour oh, ago, and we're making these fucking enemies. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's fucking what a time to be alive. Too freight. But all right, Dean, what's next? What are we talking yep. about? Uh, let's 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 find out. Let's see uh, what we're we're talking about. And uh, while it was announced that this was in the works, 14 minutes, uh, all of the documentation has been signed, and 
Blumhouse Productions and James Wan's Atomic Monster have officially merged. Uh, all of the paperwork has been signed. Uh, it seems that uh, each of these two companies will continue to work and operate as separate labels with creative independence. Uh, and this is a three-way ownership structure uh, with Blum uh, being the majority owner and then Juan as well as uh, Comcast, which is the parent company that owns uh, Warner Brothers. But the Blumhouse Atomic Monster merger uh, is complete. That's yeah, a pretty big one. You know, a lot of people are saying, I mean, I... <clears throat> Of course, I made the joke in the Talking Terror page about the mega powers. Like the only mega powers I recognize are Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. I don't recognize Blumhouse and and uh, Atomic Robot, but you know at least one person got it. Talking Terror is like thank God for that. But we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, it could be good. You know, it could be a lot of good projects. I mean, the only horror movie we're getting so far is uh, Night Swim uh, coming out this Friday that just rips off another uh, yes. the Dark episode. So yes. I'm looking forward uh, to seeing how badly it does. Night Swim, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, coming out, starring uh, Jesse Bradford and Erica Christensen, right? <laughs> Swim fan, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you called that one, I'm going to have to make that my pick next time. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, actually, I actually like that movie, so I wouldn't mind it. Erica I saw Christensen's it in the theater, hot. man. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind looking at her exactly, man. She was, uh, she, she was easy on the eyes. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Travis. So. Jesse Bradford was like a, a fart in the wind, you know what I mean? Like he kind of like was like it's almost like a Shia LaBeouf, where it seemed like they were trying to throw him and everything, and he was supposed to be some some big up and coming star, and then he kind of just fucking poof and went away. She ended up turning up in like various projects over the years, mostly on television. Um, I know she was in that uh, I think This Is Us. I want to say, or Parenthood. It was one or the other. It was one of those series, though. And I know, I know, whichever one it was, they were both, both of those were two popular TV series. Um, and I, I know she ended up in one of those. And I think now she's in something yeah. with like uh, something to do with like detectives. She's like a detective in a show somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, one of the I'm, I'm sure. looking. Yeah. I'm looking mm-hmm. right now, and um, you know, Bradford, uh, you know, appears to have started working in film uh, very young uh, with his uh, first credits being in 1984 um, and you know I, I don't see anything here that I recall where he was like pushed as like the main like star of anything it seems uh, maybe Clock even swim fan he was pushed. He was in Romeo to a very and Juliet younger, as a, a crowd than us. But hmm. it seemed oh, well okay. then, just a little bit after, um, just a little bit after uh, Swim Fan, a couple of years after, like he was in like that real serious, uh, like Clint Eastwood uh, directed, um, like World War II drama called Flags of Our Fathers. Um, and he's continued to work steadily with his last uh, credit being um, in 2022, uh, and that's just oh, film work, lots of uh, lots of TV work as well. Um, but just you know, just a just a steady working actor, you know. 
Yeah. But good for yeah, him. I mean, good for him. Good for not him. Jesse Bradford. Good show. for you. Yeah. That's the Jesse Bradford. I don't even know why you had to bring up Jesse Bradford King. We're not here to talk about Jesse Bradford. I don't know why you brought him. Swim up. fan. Swim fan. He's a know, swim fan. Yeah, you brought Jesse Bradford. Him. Uh, I get him confused with Shane West all the time. Stuff. Moving on. Ga- gaslighting the fucking the king over here. Shane West. Oh, he was another one, though, man. He was another one who I felt Shane like West. they were like, they were trying to give him like a hard push. And he popped up mm-hmm. in a bunch of like older teen comedies throughout the, like the late 90s, early 2000s. And then. He did? Oof. And like, oh, I, know, I catch yep. it. Like, he'll be, he'll be on like Hallmark Channel, like. Rom com, like holiday rom coms now is like where he is. Him and uh Makes sense. Oh, who's that fuzzy haired fucking blonde kid? He was in like one tree hill. Uh he's got like three oh, names. Chad Michael Murray? Yes, Chad, Chad Michael Murray. He's like all over the he fucking Hallmark Dawson's Channel Creek. like Christmas things now. Yes, yes, he was in Dawson's Creek. But he was another one where like you had these like young twenty something actors who were all being pushed like in that whole vein of like W B or teen like uh like, uh, what's his name was in, uh, Shane West was in Get Over It, uh, which is a, a, yep. a funny little fucking, like, you know, play on, uh, Shakespeare, you know, in, in like the high school age. Walk to Remember with Mandy Moore. Yeah. Walk to Remember with Mandy Moore. And then, like, again, like, they just kind of, like, they feel, you know what it is? He did that, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, man. That, that's what oh, did him yeah. in. <laughs> Killed <laughs> Killed I, just I just bought that recently. <laughs> it was on the $5 fucking oh. thing, so... Yeah, that's that's Sean Connery's final movie for a reason. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, cool girl. Here I walk out of the room, you know, to frag it. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Somebody called me gay. Uh, <laughs> Someone's there called me gay. Uh, Mike Dexter, you want to go? All right. Uh, so, Dean, what else are we talking about? Let's see. Your mom. All of the controversies <laughs> surrounding mm-hmm. Scream 7. Oh, here Who we go. Who knows what's going to happen. About... But it came up in the chat and, you know, all, you know, the cast belling and now uh, director, potential Scream 7, well, Scream 7 director, uh, Christopher Landon has quick uh, saying, and I quote, uh, his dream job uh, turned into a nightmare. Uh, so everything, uh, while it's still moving forward, everything is in flux. It seems that uh, Radio Silence, the company uh, from Scream uh, 5 and 6, uh, directors Matt uh, Bettinelli-Open and Tyler Gillett, uh, are, Radio Silence is still listed as the executive producers from Scream 7, so there is, uh, you know, questions about whether they will return to the fold to direct. They were unable to, sorry, they were unable to direct the sixth film uh, because of the fact or that they were working on, no, I'm sorry, they were, <clears throat> did they, di- they, wait, did they direct the fifth and the sixth one? Yes. All right, so they originally uh, we're not going to do the seventh one because they were working on a, a universal monster movie, but apparently that's done. So uh, maybe they are, are going to return. Um, but um, no one knows what's going on over there. Uh, and I would imagine we'd have some information soon because I believe they're still uh, moving forward wanting to 
to get this out, I think, uh, sometime in 2025. I would assume, yeah, 2025 would be reasonable. But I think we all know, us on the show and us horror fans know what happened. Ever since the fallout in the Subwera happened, and then with uh, Jenna Ortega, you know, it probably was a shit show for Christopher Landon just trying to get this project yeah. off the ground. So, you know, that's why I said this turned into a nightmare because his dream job was to direct a screen film. Um, and imagine that, you know, to be able to get the chance to direct a franchise and, and it becomes a total fucking horror show. So you just have to basically bow out and, and you'll wish them luck. I mean, I'm sure that was an impossible decision for Christopher Landon, but um, he, I'm sure he did the right move. I wouldn't want to be involved with that project. Um, just seems doomed, but you know, I'm sure it'll get made some way, somehow. We'll just have to see if... Uh, no way, King. If they called you up tomorrow and were like, oh, we've seen some of the writing you've done here and there, and we'd like to get you involved in Scream 7, you'd be, you'd be taking meetings immediately. You wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to pass on this. Oh, I easily pass on it. I have no problem saying that. I don't care about the money. I don't care about that. I, I would not want to be involved in that project. I haven't had faith in that project since Scream 2. So, no, I, I just, I, I wouldn't want to be involved. It's an impossible task to make nothing in this kind of viable. In the, in the, in the, in the, in the world of the movies, nothing is I agree, Gene. I agree, Gene. I agree completely. <laughs> I do say that. Not just that, not just that, but I think that, uh, I think the second they call you up your ass, will be pulling out your fucking pen. You'll be pulling out your notebook and you'll be like, all right, let me write this fucking thing. You know, plain and simple. I think I think that that's like, you know, even if it's the seventh, eighth movie in the franchise, there's still some story to be told. It's just a matter of finding the way to tell it. Oh, yeah. I would just completely erase what happened in six and seven. I would go back to, you know, rewind it back, and I would make it like those two didn't happen, and then I would make a new movie based off of that. So I would have to reboot the reboot if I wanted to really make a good follow-up. Because, I, I mean, if I sat down, I probably could, but it would have to conclude with uh, Scream 4 and then bounce off of that. Um, and it's possible. Okay, I'd yeah, just I, bring I, it I all the way not... back and get rid of the second movie. You know, I, I would just make it that, you know, all the films that, you, that, all the could, films yeah. that came after the first were all stab movies. Yes, yeah. It would be an interesting way to do it. Um, you know, or they, they had that idea of having uh, uh, Stu kind of directing the kills behind the scenes in Scream 3 that I thought would have been interesting. That would have been uh, kind of a cool choice to see that happen rather than what they did with it and have Roman, the half-brother, be the killer. Uh, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen that movie from 2000. Um, but, yeah. Fuck you, uh, Roman. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea to kind of take it back all the way to Scream and then, you know, do something maybe 10 years later and how this community in Woodsboro kind of exists knowing that it was once the scene of a bloodbath. Kind of pull it back later. and uh, just take it but, to like I don't current, like current time. Oh, you could, you know, but I, I kind of like the the basic technology that would be in two thousand and six. Um, you know, I kind of like that. Where it's not, we're not so technologically advanced in two thousand and six as we are now. So I think it, it would make it more interesting. Um, you know, that that's my take on it. But we could do it this time. I, I, either way, I think it would have to be one of those things where you'd have to take it into a future time from 1996 and kind of show you how the community of Woodsboro kind of deals with the fact that they were the scene of a massacre that became kind of famous, became like a hotspot for true crime podcasts and things like that. I, I think the way to go is to take it into 1997 using the exact same cast and, uh, hmm. and we just, and we just de-age them a little bit. 
<laughs> so, so it's like Scream 1 never happened. So like a redo. <laughs> so you have uh, a Stew. That's what we need. We need the prequel to Scream. See, that would be very interesting because that whole story that, that uh, Skeet, as uh, Billy tells at the end, is fucking really interesting. And then we kind of get the follow-up mm-hmm. in three, where Roman was the Cotton one that was telling origin story. Yeah, we could have that too. We could throw him in there because that whole fucking night is only really told through Sydney's kind of monologue to uh, Gail. I mean, you have the fucking murder, and then you see somebody leaving the house in Cotton Weary's coat, which is fucking Billy, but you thought it was Cotton. Like, there's a whole story there that would be a great uh, prequel, <clears throat> you know, to uh, Scream. But, you know, and you could do it, and you know that you could do it. Billy and Stu on fucking Sydney's mom. You know, I always consider them gay, so I'm kind of glad that you brought that up, because I've always considered there to be serious fucking homosexual undertones to their quote-unquote friendship, Stu and Billy. I'm pretty sure they probably dabbled with each other at some point. But, you know, most people just kind of laugh that off. Like, no, they were kind of playing it like they could very easily give up girls and just be about each other. <laughs> the whole penetration sequence of the knives, come on. I was like, that's, it's great. It just writes itself, but... That's for the prequel that we have to write. Pre-screen. That's what you need to call it. Mm-hmm. Pre-screen. Pre-screen. But all right. Pre-screen. Moving like on. Like pre-cum. Uh, what do we expect? Yeah, like pre-cum. So it's pre-screen. So there you go. Write it down. All right, Dean, next, what are you talking about? Hmm. <laughs> the Dean is pondering. Hey. 245. 245 pi-oxen. Hmm. Uh, the chemical yep. from Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Trick or Treat Studios is putting out a 245 trioxin barrel set, uh, which is mm-hmm. available for pre-order. Uh, it says that this barrel set uh, works well as a standalone, uh, as well as an accessory for their one-six uh, scale uh, Tarman figure. It says that this barrel set. Uh, comes with a split dog specimen, uh, Unita Medical Supplies, and a basement corner uh, diorama. You can get this barrel set on pre-order right now for $99.99, with the estimated shipping date being the end of February of 2024. Oh, I'm looking at pictures of that now. It fucking looks good, man. I mean, it's it's 100 bucks, but... Seems kind of fucking worth it because you actually turn a switch and you could see the fucking tar man inside. And I'll never buy it. That's pretty neat. That's pretty that kind fucking of cool. money, but it sounds pretty neat. Yeah, I, I already have yeah, a tar man thanks to the ghoul. The first gift I ever gave you, man, that was your birthday present. Yep, Norman you Bates got me a and forty-five trioxin barrel. No, the actual tar man. So. It comes with a little uh, uh, eaten brain, and it comes with the whole set from the basement. So, yeah, and it comes with the jaw that opens and closes. So, yeah, he bought me that. And uh, the movie Maniacs, Norman Bates from Psycho, which I still have on my uh, case right now. Proudly displayed. First gift I ever got from the ghoul. Fucking nailed it out of the park. Probably that than was, like, Yeah, it's, well, I mean, herpes lasts forever, though. So... You know, maybe I would like that. Yeah, that know. keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Wu-Tang isn't the only thing forever, kids, so it's hairpiece. 
bubbles. But that's a very cool thing. For a hundred bucks, I mean, if, you, if you're a collector like that, there you go. Trick Street Studios has got your back, baby. Uh, but all right, what's next, Steve? What are we talking about? Baby Ruth. The Black Phone 2, hmm. which I believe it was right here on our last time I was on the show when I said how the Black Phone 2 was a go with the entire principal cast returning uh, with obviously Correct. no plot details. But in addition to the entire principal cast returning, it seems that uh, Scott Derrickson uh, will also be returning to direct uh, the Black Phone uh, 2 with the target release sometime in 2025. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Could work. I like the first movie. I, I thought Black Phone was really fun. Now, standalone, but it made a shit ton of money, so you knew you were going to get more. But stay tuned, 2025. Very cool. All right, what's next? The 20th Century uh, Studios and Little Golden Books are teaming up uh, to bring you an alphabet book. A is for an a is sorry. A is for Alien. Uh, this is going to be an ABC book uh, aimed at children between the ages of two and five, which will feature uh, Ripley and the crew of the Nostromo going on a space adventure and introducing the alphabet uh, with fun illustrations uh, and aliens abound. Uh, the release of A is for Alien is targeted at uh, July 9th. Uh, with the low, low price of $5.99. So if you have a child in your life between the ages of two and five that you would like a, a fun and unique way of teaching them the alphabet, uh, you will now have your chance from the folks over at 20th Century Studios and Little Golden Books. That's adorable. Yeah. Kids can like hard, too, everybody. We learned that. I was watching it at a very dangerously young age of six, so I get it. Just that now it's more accepted. Back then, you just had to have absentee parents and a TV. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Mundo. Exactly, Mundo, indeed. All right, very cool. Little Golden Books, teaching little kids horror. All right, but what's next, Dean? We talk little about? Golden Books. Uh, the never-ending saga of hearing about the wants of Stephen Shioto to to get uh, more killer clowns from outer space into the world continues uh, with him saying that he is hoping uh, to get his long-awaited sequel done as an eight-episode miniseries for streamers, that he has a great concept that continues the story of the main characters. So uh, I feel like we've been uh, talking about the possibilities of more killer clowns for forever. Uh, and whether or not uh, we'll ever see it, who knows. But uh, this is the latest uh, in the world of killer clowns from outer space. Yeah, I think we've been talking about that as long as we've talked about Todd McFarlane wanting to do Spawn again, which also he came out and updated everybody just a couple days ago about how he's still fucking doing it. Doesn't care if he has to do it with studio or not. So seems like the Kyoto brothers and uh, – 
Todd McFarlane are kind of on the same timeline. It's going to happen. Just don't know when. But I'd much rather hmm. see a Killer Clowns two than another Spawn movie. But that's just me. I just wasn't really impressed with that Spawn movie of Michael J. White. I don't know anybody that was. But moving on. All right. What else are we talking about, Dean? The Mutilator from Bud Cooper. Fall Break. Hell yeah. Fall Break from Bud Cooper from 1984. Coming we on know the show? that, yes, we have. Uh, was that your pick, King of Horror? Oh, that would be the monkey's pick. Ah, uh, the monkey. The dearly departed but not dead monkey. Uh, so, That's we know case. that Bud Cooper has crafted, written, directed, and completed in the can a sequel, a follow-up sequel uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to The Mutilator, Mutilator 2. Uh, one of those films where uh, it takes place in a world where the original Mutilator was a movie. There's oh, still... Oh, meta. Oh, shit. Oh, you were not aware of that, King of Horror. I thought you would have known this. Uh, that news that that is news that I was aware of previously, but what I'm here to talk about is that even though this film was screened back in October at the Joe Bob uh, Briggs Jamboree, uh, there hmm. is still uh, no uh, streaming or uh, theatrical uh, distribution deal. Uh, so Mutilator 2 sits in the can. Uh, Bud Cooper has taken to his Facebook page uh, asking fans uh, that want to see this to reach out uh, to their favorite theaters and streamers uh, in trying to get this thing out into the world. Uh, I was actually reading that it's actually quite surprising uh, that this is not something that's been picked up by Shudder, uh, given that, one, they, they do have the first film on their streaming service, and not only uh, did it play at the Joe Bob Biggs uh, Jamboree. Uh, there was also a special about it in one of the episodes of the Joe Bob Biggs uh, last drive-in, and Joe Bob Briggs is like the shutter, uh, you know, one of the on-screen faces of shutter. So uh, it's, it, you know, people are like, why is this film not on shutter? So no distribution yet for Mutilator 2. So if anyone has been uh, wondering what's been going on, uh, you know, Mutilator 2 has been, been hanging out uh, in the can uh, on the shelf right next to the, the Toxic Avenger film, which is also sitting on the shelf in a can uh, with no release date. So uh, who knows what is going to happen or when this is going to see the light of day. But Bud Cooper is like, please uh, reach out uh, and, and make some noise so he can get some kind of distribution deal going on. Well, I mean, yeah, Shutter, Screenbox, you know, I think those are the two big uh, exclusive kind of horror streaming sites. I think that We'll probably go there, and especially, yeah, like you said, I'm glad you brought up The Toxic Avenger, because we still don't have a fucking release date for that. I really want to see that movie. So, I mean, you know, I don't know if Shudder would pick it up, or Screenbox, or even if Lloyd would put on his own streaming service, uh, Troma Now. But, fuck, I want to see that movie. So, I'm hoping mm. he finds this show somehow, because I, I would love to. And, yeah, Mutilator 2, if I could just, I love that first one. And the fact that they're going meta with it, that's even more creative. At least he knows not to do a sequel. You know, because you can't, especially after that movie ended. But uh, it's, it's just the cool stuff. I hope that somebody picks it up. But all right, Dan, what else are we talking about? 
Jordan Peele, who has become one of the, you know, if not the leading voice in the realm of like mainstream theatrical horror for the masses, uh, his fourth film, uh, the still roughly titled untitled fourth film by Jordan Peele has lost its 2024 release date. Universal has removed it uh, from the schedule. Uh, it was originally scheduled to be released in on Christmas, on, on uh, December 25th, uh, 2024. Uh, while uh, no new release date has been announced, it is anticipated to be sometime in 2025, uh, a couple of rumors floating around. Uh, one of the rumors is that they decided they do not want to compete uh, with the upcoming Eggers Nosferatu uh, film, which has the same Christmas of 2024 release date. Uh, but another rumor circulating was that uh, there were big delays with this getting into production due to the strikes and it not getting to be in production. Uh, other news related to the untitled fourth film by Jordan Peele, uh, and these are just rumors, uh, were that he would once again be working uh, with Stephen Yoon and Daniel uh, Kaluuya, uh, but those rumors are completely unsubstantiated at this time. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I would think that, if anything, it was more so about the strikes that happened uh, that lasted so long, because I, I don't know if... if you know, putting up against uh, Robert Eggers and Osferatu would be that big of a, a problem. Um, you know, it's not like Robert Eggers is Steven Spielberg. You know, I, mean, I love Robert Eggers, don't get me wrong, but I think I'd like to see those two compete to see who could win the box office. Uh, I think it, it, it would be close, honestly, with the fan bases they both have, and I'm saying both, but I don't know. Ghoul, what do you think about that? I mean, I think I'd like to see a head-to-head with Eggers and Peele. You know, they're, they're two very, yes, it's, it's kind of how I feel on it. You know, I feel like they're just in two very different areas as far as, you oh, know, but, what it is yeah. that, they, that what they give you. You know what I mean? Um, Peel is dynamic, fresh, constantly utilizing, you know, stories that are defying the, 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 the basic concepts of, of race and, and, and other things. Um, I think Eggers just does a good job of telling us period piece horror tales, um, you know, specifically using, you know, stories that, you know, might have been told in other ways or true or somewhat true tales and then just building them up into bigger things. Uh, the Lighthouse, you know, uh, the Witch, or the Vavitch, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like that kind of stuff. You know, the Northman, um, you know, which I wasn't the biggest a fan of with the Northman. I feel like out of yeah. the three films, that's, that's his weakest movie. Um, I would agree. You know, like, uh, I, I do, I enjoy the, the, the way the Witch builds up. And I feel like the lighthouse is just such an exercise in just complete madness that it's just fucking oh, yeah. phenomenal. Um, so you for like me, I think I, I, 
I think I put like the I think I put the lighthouse. Like if I was to order it, I'd be the lighthouse, the witch, and then the Northman. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think like going head to head between the two of them, I just I just don't see that. If anything, I would take Eggers and put him head to head with the, uh, you know, the one that did. Uh, their types of work, you know what I mean? Like, even though maybe the stories are so far apart and different, how they're told, there's still like a, a very similar way that they present their films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that is a great example. Cause I would love to see Eggers go up against Astor because both of those fan bases too are very, very fucking competitive. It's very rare that you find an Eggers fan and an Astor fan. Usually it's one or the other. Like, there, there's no, like, I, I like them both, and I'd like to see them both. I like them movies. both. No, they, <laughs> it's very rare that you find both. Like, the people I've talked to on, on these uh, horror group chats, like, it's always the same thing. It's always, I love Eggers, fuck Astor, or it's always, like, I don't like Astor, but, I, you know, everything around. I mean, me, I don't like Astor at all. I think he makes shit movies. Um, and I like the, yeah, I love the I love, difficulties. I love Midsommar, so. I, I know you did. I just felt like it was just another version of Hereditary, where I just, I can't, I don't fucking like all the fucking grief movies. Like, and that's become kind of like a thing that happens nowadays in horror movies, where it's just, it's based in grief. And when you have too much of it, it's just, it's just, I don't know. If you want to do one movie about grief, that's fine. But if you want to make two movies about grief, it's like, all right, well then... You you found a wheel. Life, like you found a wheel. Life is pain. Life is sadness. It's fine, but you know, but just do something different with it. Like, you know, in Hereditary, it's family grief, and in Midsommar, it's also family grief. But you know, and saying, why does everybody have to be answers? I would say Midsommar is personal grief, you know, due to tragedy, and the overcoming of of a singular character's. (laughs) Like, I don't know, like, I guess her, her change in existence from being a very solitary and lonely person within her family to suddenly becoming something more important to a family that wasn't her blood family. Which I, I'm all for. I get that. But it's just like the characters around that particular Florence Pugh character are just fucking just <clears throat> paper thin and useless. Like the whole boyfriend character I couldn't stop laughing at his character the entire movie. I know it shouldn't have been, but it was unintentionally funny just because it's like, God damn, just break up with her. Like, if you're that miserable being around this girl who does nothing but cry because her whole family off themselves, then maybe just be like, you know what? We shouldn't be together. You need to see a therapist. Don't be like, why don't you come along to fucking Iceland and fucking enjoy the vacation, even though you're going to cry they the entire time. themselves. You know, just the sister killed them. Yeah, I know. They just all dead. I just I forgot the, the way that they died. I forgot because it's such a forgettable movie. But I know that it was, it was a grief of family. But he's death. also, he's just to go to show that, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, listen, I've been in relationships before in which, you know, yeah, the right thing to do would be to break up with the person or you just don't want to be with them anymore. But at the same time, too, there's just so many reasons or things that seem to come up that you can't. I mean, he is also ultimately he's painted as a very shit He's, yeah, he's painted as a, a, a very shit character. And by the end of the story, he kind of gets he's his not. just desserts as he's sitting there in a Garlic fucking nine. bear, you know, in a bearskin costume, fucking burning to death. Oh, he didn't yeah, deserve that not, fate. I, he, I he didn't deserve that fate. No, he was a fucking scumbag. You know what, man? At that point, he can fucking take it. He's a Steve Zahn wannabe anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't... 
I haven't <laughs> seen Aster's latest work. Uh, Bo is afraid. Um, you know, like when I first saw the trailer for it, I was like, oh, Bo right, enjoys chicken tikka masala. Yes, he does, Steve. Yeah, I was going to see it in the theater, but then I saw it's like three hours long or some shit like that, and I was like... Oh, God. Yeah. I was like, nah, nah, it's just long. Painful. It might not be three hours, but it's a long fucking movie. Like 2.45, like 2 hours 45, probably. I can see it being that long. Yeah, it's, I don't know. He doesn't make short fucking movies, that's for sure. I mean, I don't know. I just... I think I just like the risks that Eggers takes more than it's I like. It's three hours. Astros. 179 minutes, oh, dude. Jesus Christ. So it is three hours. That, that's a fucking investment. Uh-huh. That's I like investment. I, 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 really like, I like Joaquin Phoenix. I do. Yeah, me too. I have no problem with him. You know, seeing him in, like, various stages or states of his life as the titular Bo character, and, I mean, mm-hmm. being that it's Bo oh, is afraid and no – and knowing what Ari Aster's work has been like previously, I just feel like it's the kind of thing that I'd probably prefer to experience at home, sitting there with the ability to pause it and just go and go watch, you know, like maybe go to the bathroom. I like sit there in front of my television and be bummed and be just as afraid as Bo and then be like, you know what I'm going to go do to like make myself really happy right now? I'm going to go drop a big ploppy shit in the toilet bowl and that's going to make me happy. Yeah. You got to. Like, that's the quality part of being at home and watching those movies is because you can take as many fucking breaks as you want. You're not forced to sit there throughout the entire thing. You could pause it. You could take a shit. You could go fucking eat some good food and then come back and be more bummed out and then just you know, kind of break it up in pieces. It's a three-hour movie. Do an hour for three days. Do an hour one day. Do the next hour. Then do the next hour. And you're fucking out of there, man. And you're finished. And you can be like, I watched Bo is Afraid. Wow. Like, and I, I survived. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I love Joaquin Phoenix, but, like, even me with Joaquin Phoenix, I'm really fucking hesitant to see Joker 2. That comes out this year as well. Just from the whole, it's going to be a musical standpoint, and Lady Gaga is going to be in it, and it's just, why did you have to do it? Like, Joker is such a perfect movie. We don't, I don't know. I just (laughs) really fucking hesitant, because I want to see it, because I like him as a character, but at the same time, I don't fucking want a musical. Like, it just goes against everything that the first one was about. But, you know. That's, that's also Todd Phillips, but not Ari Aster or Robert Eggers. But let's see what turns out with that movie. I did actually watch uh, Joaquin Phoenix in Her. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. Uh, what movie? Yeah, I, like have, the, I have Her. not. Um, yeah, it's where he gets like a personal assistant, kind of like a, a phone, but it's uh, Scarlett Johansson's voice. Um, and then he ends up falling in love with it. So it's kind of like AI. So the AI kind of falls in love with him, too. It's a fucking super depressing movie, but it's just really well done, like, between both of the characters, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson. You never see her once because she's just a voice, but uh, just goes to show you that I'd be a sucker that would fall for that type of shit. <laughs> just being lonely enough where it's just like, you know what? This person's paying attention to me. They're not even real. I don't care. I kind of like it, <laughs> you know? And he's going around telling friends about it, and they're like, oh, you should bring her out on a date. He's like, oh, she's a program. They're like, Oh, you fucking scamp. You're kidding, right? Like, no, she's a program. It's just, it's wild. Definitely, like, check it out, especially if you like Joaquin Phoenix, because he's great um, in that. But this isn't a Joaquin Phoenix podcast. It's a horror podcast. So what else are we talking about, Dean? There is big news for 2024 for people that approach the new year with the mindset of new year, new me. 
Uh, it is hmm. often that when uh, the new year comes, people say, this is the year that I'm going to join the gym and get into shape. And it's the time of year where people like me uh, who go to the gym before work every day uh, walk in and it's just packed uh, with people that you're going to see for the next two to three weeks before uh, they, uh, you know, go back to their old habits. Uh, it just, that's what happens. But for people that are truly going to approach the new year, new me philosophy, I'm here to tell you that Amalea, the director of a horror movie called Death Sember, and Vanessa Decker, who is the bloody, disgusting host of Hello Horror, are teaming up for an unparalleled workout experience called Slasher Size, uh, where they're going to have a DVD series that is going to be a complete legitimate exercise plan with cardio routines, body weight training, and circuit training workouts. Uh, there is going to be uh, fitness blended with vintage 80s classic horror, uh, actual workouts with horror, uh, synthwave, gore, camp, and scream queen hotties. Uh, if you can hold off <laughs> until March, you'll be able to buy the Volume 1 DVD uh, which is available for pre-order right now with the Slasher Size website for nineteen ninety nine. Hmm. I mean, that's cool. It's kind of like the Linnea Quigley workout from nineteen ninety. You know, where she did the whole horror workout video. Which, uh, you know, if you, if you don't want to wait for that, folks, you could watch the Linnea Quigley one on uh, uh, Tubi for free. So, if you're like, wait for that one, is that on? Is, the is, 90s. is that on Tubi? Yes, it is. Yeah, I've watched it. It's on Tubi. Did you participate? Uh, no. I mean, I participated in my own way. just wasn't working out. But in my own way, I participated. So I worked out. It's just it's a lot of fun. So Linnea Quigley in the 90s, like top tier Linnea Quigley. Nin so. Here it is. 1990, 56-minute Linnea Quigley's horror workout. Scream Queen Linnea Quigley leads this spoof workout where she teaches zombie aerobics as well as how to exercise during a slumber party massacre. So, yes, here, here it is. Yeah. How about it's, that? It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's well worth checking out. Uh, it's just, it's campy, it's silly, but they do actually exercise uh, horror signs, if you will. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So definitely check it out if you haven't, uh, or if you just want to wait for the new one, you can out this one that uh, the Google just, uh, Dean was just talking about. There you go. Either way, new year, new you. But all right, Dean, what else are we talking about? Uh, that is where uh, this portion of our program uh, comes to an end. All right. So tonight we are talking about the Google Geek Keith film pick of the week. Happy birthday to me from 1981, directed by J. Lee Thompson. Uh, Ghoul, why don't you hit us with a synopsis, what your thoughts were, and then we'll kick off the discussion. Uh, happy birthday to me. I mean, uh, I don't know, we're at a prestigious Happy birthday school. to me. Thank you. Well, no, to me. Uh, you know, called the Academy. To you. Um, 
to me, to me indeed. Not you, but me. And not me, but you. No, you, me, me, you. Ah, whatever. Um, so, so yes, at the Crawford Academy, deaths are occurring. People, young ladies, young men, are being murdered uh, before our very own eyes. And uh, poor, poor Ginny, um, you know, poor Ginny Wainwright is just, uh, just unsure of what's going on because in between all of these murders, she's getting flashes of of a car accident that she was in and brain surgery and, and, and all these other things and daddy and she's spoiled and there's money everywhere and everybody's rich and they have daddy. cars daddy daddy but who's committing these murders could it be Ginny maybe Ooh. her birthday's coming up so we will find out um, you know happy birthday to me I mean listen this is one of those where you know we always talk about box art you know, in the in the video store. Oh, yeah. And, like, this is one that just stood out all the time. You know, like, it just, it's just it's a, got a fucking dude with a shish kebab going in his mouth. And, you know, the, the tagline on the top always made me laugh because it's like, you know, well, it especially made me laugh now that I've seen the movie. But, you know, John, you know, will never enjoy a shish kebab again or something to that effect. And, and the reason why it makes me laugh is there's no character named John in the film. Um so, oh, Stephen. There you have it. <laughs> there is Stephen, yes, but there, there you have it. I guess maybe at some point there was a John, but maybe they eliminated him, or, or maybe translation didn't work right or something. Maybe Etienne or whatever the fuck his name is is supposed to be John. Etienne. Uh, <laughs> Etienne. My, my, my one running back was, uh, was Travis Etienne, or Etienne. Etienne, that's what it is. And that's right, the Mexican monkeys, the Mexico monkeys fucking won the championship this year in at least one of my leagues. So, fuck y'all. The Mad Monkeys um, team won? Give me that. Mexico Give me monkeys? that trophy. My, my Mexico monkey team won. Um, <laughs> he played but, for that team once. <laughs> out of three. Out of three leagues, I won one. So, so I was very, very happy about that. So, so, so anyway, happy birthday to me. Yeah, this, it's, it's a murder mystery. It's a thriller. It's got, you know, young, young stars, mostly from like 70s television and shit like that up and in it. Uh, a lot of familiar faces. You know, people that you're going to see in TV and, and other films. Maybe not stars but people that you're going to recognize. Um, you know, the film as a whole, like I said, it plays as a mystery, and it's fun. But, you know, and the, uh, the, the, the big surprise twist ending, you know, well before M. Night Shyamalan ever did anything like that, you know, it's a twist, um, you know, is, is in full effect here. And I think if this was like, you know, obviously if this was the 80s and I was a kid watching this movie, I would have been like, holy shit. You know, but but as an adult who's seen a thousand and one horror movies at this point, you know, yeah, even though I couldn't tell you who the fuck it was that was going to be doing it, I just knew the person that they were trying to tell you was doing it wasn't the person doing it. No, not at all. That was but you got to love it when they do that, when it's the twist, like the twist, as we said. It's a twist. <laughs> uh, but twist. Uh, Dean, what did you think about Happy Birthday to Me? Happy birthday to me. Uh, I have, well, to, to, to you. Um, but to you. this is one to, to me. To you. But to you. Two. Not no, one, but two. But me. Yes. But I, uh, this is one that I personally had never seen before uh, and would not have been able to put the... I would not have been able to put the title of the film uh, with the cover image art, 
But what I can say is that the famous cover image art of the meat shish kebab uh, going into this guy's mouth uh, is 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 some some cover art uh, that that stands out to my memory so clearly. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what movie it was from, uh, but when I saw the cover art, I was like, oh, it's this movie with the fucking shish kebab. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, look, this movie was fine, uh, a, a, a totally fine, like, early, you know, type, uh, Love slasher, um, oh, sorry, what's that, Ghoul? Oh, sorry, you shouldn't have heard me, I actually had muted it, my bad. Well, you failed. <laughs> um, but anyway, fail. uh, like, just a totally fine by-the-numbers slasher, um, for the most part, kept my attention. Uh, I have some questions regarding the twist uh, when we get uh, to that portion of the discussion. Uh, but, well, I can let you know about fine. it. I, I, again, I had never seen it before, and you know, like it's uh, you know, given uh, you know, given its 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 release time, it was pretty much about exactly what I expected it to be. That's awesome. Yeah, and and I'm With just kind of so glad that you. I'm that you've never seen Happy Birthday to Me before because it's one of those movies I've seen so many times, especially like the ghoul was saying with the uh, the cover art. When I used to rent movies, uh, Home Video Center, by the way, Happy Birthday, Mark Queller. Uh, his birthday is today. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one of the videos I rented. It's very true. Place, and and quite happy. a milestone as well. He turned 75 today. Yeah. So, so happy That's birthday, right. Mark. We love you, bro. Love you. Big love, man. Big 7-5. Big 7-5. Uh, but yeah, it was just one of those ones that I, I rented. Um, and it's also from the producing team of John Dunning and Andre Link, uh, and they were just a couple of Canadians that produced a lot of, of horror movies, a lot of comedies, like uh, Meatballs, um, but they also did My Buddy Valentine, they also did Shivers with Cronenberg. Um, they were trying to be kind of like quote-unquote carpetbaggers by bringing Canadian horror to the U.S., um, so they were kind of at the forefront of that back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and this is one of them uh, when they got together with Columbia Pictures. Unfortunately for that duo, uh, they were kind of shit-canned by Columbia Pictures in terms of marketing. So like the ghoul was saying, when you read that fucking poster, and it's like, you know, John will never eat shish kebab again. Steve will never ride a motorcycle again. So well, that's not how it happens in the fucking movie. It's just that a marketing guy came in from Columbia, and he's like, all right, this is the poster. What do you think? And they're like, we don't like it. They're like, too bad. You've been consulted. And then you fucking walked out of the room and that was it. So they didn't really have much of a say in marketing. But for, like, theaters back then, they wanted a whole poster's fucking phenomenal. setup. Of, the poster's great, but the tagline's what they didn't like because that's not the characters that are in the movie. They're like, why did you do that? You're kind of giving away a lot of shit, too. Um, but, like, marketing, they, they – Columbia Pictures wanted uh, local DJs when this movie was released to have uh, uh, scream-ins where you could call in and they would ask you, what if you showed up at a birthday party and you were the only living person there? And the person would have to scream as loud as they could. And if they were the winner, they would get free passes to go to the movie. Ooh, um, what an exciting they would, contest. They would set up uh, fake coffins and they would put a fake birthday cake that was all messed up by an ax on top of it. And you could actually sit around the coffin and take pictures with uh, birthday hats um, to celebrate it. Yeah. And if you also went to go see the movie, you would get a little piece of birthday cake kind of celebrate Virginia's Oh, how birthday. nice. Where so there was a ton day? of marketing. A ton of marketing. Um, and also they would have people dressed up in funeral black 
and they would give guys uh, blood red carnations and girls white carnations as uh, things to wear into the theater. So it's just it's marketing by Columbia. What it is? Mm -hmm. This is also a movie Mm -hmm. that's trying to capitalize on the popularity of of Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween. Absolutely. And you know all all of these films that were trying to use holidays. Well. What holiday was not taken yet? Well, everybody's got a birthday. Birthday? That's exactly what Andre Link said. <clears throat> when he looked at the calendar, he was like, what kind of a movie can we make? Everybody's got a birthday, so let's call it happy birthday to me. But instead of just making it a standard slasher, let's kind of make it a giallo, uh, where it's like, it's a whodunit. Because Friday the 13th is kind of like a giallo. You know, it, it is when you watch that first movie, because you don't know who the fuck is killing people, you know, until later when you find it's Jason. But in the first one, you have no idea until it's revealed that it's, it's Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah, well, I, well, we saw that, too. I forget uh, I forget which Jalo it was that you had us cover, but there was that one movie where everything was going down by that one lake, and there was a lot of... Bay of Blood. Friday, Bay of Blood. Yes, yeah. there was a Mario lot Bob. of Friday yeah. the third. Like, there was a lot of DNA in My that. pick. Like, you could totally see... Friday the 13th, like, coming yeah. out of that film. They were shooting well, their they even DNA had the, everywhere. The bed kill in part two was ripped from Bay of Blood. Mm-hmm. Because in part two, there's a the couple killed in bed, but you get to see a lot more of it than you did in Friday 2 because of the MPAA. But you're absolutely right with that. Um, so I'm definitely a fan of Happy Birthday to Me, but let's get into it. And then we'll eventually get to the, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the twist. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. can't believe that I haven't seen this until this time, too. You know, like, this is one of those where, like, unlike the, the dean who, you know, knows the cover art but not the name, like, I knew the name of this movie. I passed over this mm-hmm. movie, like, a thousand times. Even, like, well, in, that's the, why in you the digital it, age. Well, I know. But, like, even in the digital age, you know, <laughs> like, I, I'd be scanning through at various times during the $5 sales or whatever holidays are going on, and, uh, you know, I'd end up seeing it and be like, Ooh, maybe I'll buy this movie finally, so that you know I can I can pick it for the show, and, and I never would, you know. So so I guess it just worked out this time. And you know what though, I went to go buy, you know, I went to go look it up. Couldn't find it for free anywhere. Maybe it was on YouTube, but I wasn't going to hunt around. Um, and yeah, when I went to go check on Xbox, they were selling it for like fifteen dollars. Then I went to Voodoo, and it was only five. So. Yeah, no, it's it's incredibly hard to find. Um, but I actually have uh, two DVD copies because uh, one well, came out in the early do. 2000s. And it came out with this really shitty cover art of a girl holding, uh, holding a birthday cake with a knife in it. And her eyes are all fucking mutant green for some reason. They're all um, fucked and the up openings... looking, bro. That's the, that's the cover art that they have for it digitally. And it looks stupid yeah. as hell. It's like somebody had like yeah, an eight-year-old and... kid draw the fucking cover art for it. Yeah, it looks fucking terrible, and they also released the opening sequence with disco music rather than the piano score that's supposed to be in the movie. So they ended up going oh. back, and Mill Creek, Mill Creek released the, the, another edition with the original artwork of the Shish Kebab murder, um, and they restored the piano uh, theme from the opening because it's not supposed to be fucking shitty disco. It's supposed to be a, a really kind of haunting piano score. Uh, that book I can't remember if I had disco. I don't think I did. I think I had piano, if I remember right. Yeah, hopefully you did, because that disco score is shit. I, um, I but anyway, it has very, it has very much like a Manfredini sound, right? Yes. Yep. Then you're right. Okay. You got the one with the piano score, because I got the, the, one with the piano. other yeah, score. It's very disco. A lot of <laughs> times I was sitting here listening to the music in this movie and thinking, "Wow, man! Like they really ate Friday the Thirteenth for this." 
all the stings that you hear in the movie, it's just, it's Mandarin I guess they were so inspired by Friday 13th or just ripped off. But, but anyway, uh, so at the Crawford Academy, uh, Bernadette O'Hara is living night classes to meet her friends. After an encounter with the authoritarian headmistress, Mrs. Patterson, Bernadette gets into her car where she's attacked by someone in the back seat wearing all black clothing and black leather gloves. This person begins to choke her. Bernadette momentarily feigns her death, but manages to slug at her unseen attacker running out of the car. A minute later, she sees someone she apparently knows where Bernadette says, thank God, please help me. Suddenly, the unseen person in black pulls out a straight razor and slashes Bernadette's throat. Um, this is another scene that we'll get to when we get to the other deaths that was heavily cut. There was the VHS copy that I had back in the day that actually had the uncut sequences that the MPAA didn't chop up, where you do get to see Bernadette's body laying on the ground uh, with her throat slashed wide open and blood seeping out. Um, you can find stills of it online if you're interested in looking at the uncut deaths, because Etienne's death uh, was heavily cut. It was a lot more bloody, a lot more gory. Um, but we'll get to those uh, in just a moment. But sometime later that night at the Village Inn, a group of students are at a table drinking when Virginia arrives and joins the group with them wondering at why she was so late in meeting them. Did she just murder somebody or is she just showing up late? We'll find out. 99 person beer on the wall. Oh, we'll get to them because Alfred, the creepy Norman Bates friend of the group, shows up. Um, and after Rudy angers the local townies, apparently this group of teens can't fucking stand grown men getting drunk and having fun. So they just had enough and they have to have a prank with... Alfred's pet rat, George. So they put pet, uh, the pet mouse into one of the cups of beer, and that's when the outraged drunks chase the students outside. And then later, seeing that the drawbridge is coming up, Steve says to everybody, let's play the game, everybody. They all plan to drive their cars over the opening bridge. When Virginia, in a car with Greg and Amelia, goes over the bridge, she screams, mother! Visibly upset, she demands the car be stopped, which should be pretty much fucking destroyed, but it's not. It's okay. Well, yeah, because the fucking you see during the stunt, the front of that car gets <laughs> yeah. wrecked. I mean, the car fucking yeah. hits the ground nose first. You see the front end fly off, you know, and it, and it just fucking it skitters and goes forward still. But, yes, as we come to this stop, suddenly – this vehicle is like, it's like fucking the Porsche in Commando. That mysteriously, all the fucking scratches on the yep. side and everything have just vanished. And the car is in perfect shape once again. Um, yeah, you know, the, the rat sequence made me a little sad. We, uh, we had to put our one rat down. She fucking uh, started Aww. developing tumors and Sorry, shit. Man. So she had to, uh, to yeah. go, I guess, to whatever variation of the Rainbow Highway, that fucking uh, Rainbow Bridge that, uh, that, the, uh, that the rats take. I don't know if they take the little wires underneath, you know. I mean, it is a cool sequence to watch when the bridge is going up and they all make it over, and then you have uh, Steve at the end. He's like, fuck it, and he pulls over to the side real quick because he knows he can't make it. You're like, it's too fucking high, you know, but he still takes it, and then he's fine. But Virginia freaks out and runs into the local cemetery where she visits her mother's grave when another student named Etienne shows up offering to walk her home, and she decides, I'm not doing it. So she decides to head home where she sees her dad, Hal, played by Lawrence Dane, and back in the 80s, if you made a Canadian horror movie, you had to have Lawrence Dane in it somehow, some way, because he just always needed to make an appearance. Believe me, he's in fucking all of them. But Hal, who pretty much tells her to fucking stop visiting her mother's grave, just stop doing it, because she's not coming back to life, um, just kind of gives her the business, but Virginia just goes to her mother's in the shower and changes her clothes. Back. 
set to uh, disco music. This is, of course, played by Moses Sue Anderson of Little House on the Prairie fame. She wanted to do something that would break her out of that type of character, so she decided to do this. So we get to see her in a bra and stripping down, uh, getting to the bathroom. She sees that her recently shut window is now open. She screams in fright as Etienne, who Virginia doesn't see, jumps down and flees into the night with something from her room that we'll find out later what that thing was. So the next day in chemistry class, Mrs. Patterson reprimands the students for their prank at the end. Me and the dean know very well what those are. Oh, yeah. So she questions the students about where Bernadette could possibly be, and no one really knows. And then later we see the chemistry professor showing them a pair of frog legs and how you can make them jump with electricity. And this, of course, causes Virginia to flash back to an operating room where she's laying on a table with her head wrapped up. And she later tells her doctor, David Faraday, played by Glenn Ford, who was fucking sauced the entire fucking movie, uh, even beat up one of the assistant directors and forced the assistant director to apologize to him for that, which he did because he wanted to have a career. Um, she tells him of this eerie recollection that she had, and David tells her that after being injured in an accident, Virginia had been an experiment. She was able to remember something she had previously forgotten due to a regeneration of her damaged brain, David says that she will remember much more later. And then we cut to a dirt bike race. Virginia and her friends are cheering on Etienne, who ends up winning that race. And being the hopeless romantic that he is, guys, he shows Virginia that he won because he had a pair of her panties right next to her heart. You bastard. No, he won due to those. That's fucking awesome, dude. You should be fucking happy. But... Virginia is obviously upset about this, as is Alfred, who is watching from afar. Uh, that night, as Etienne is cleaning his motorbike in his garage, someone approaches him from behind and throws his scarf into the running wheel, which pulls his face in closer. Then the unseen person revs up the bike, letting the wheel do the rest as it mangles the shit out of Etienne's face. It's a very quick, bloody shot. Uh, like I said, the uncut version, much more gruesome, much more bloody, but... You know, it does a trick. I mean, unfortunately, the MPAA was not fucking pleasant to this movie. So that's why you kind of get these deaths that are very quick. And uh, it's unfortunate. Because um, I would, you know, the uncut version is cool. But uh, later at the village inn, everybody is awaiting on Etienne and Alfred. Virginia and Anne go to find Alfred to find out what evil deeds he has been up to. They go over to his house and climb through an open window in his bedroom and that's where, oh, my God, you guys, they found Bernadette's severed head on a tray. Alfred oh. then suddenly shows up asking what they're doing there. But I've, I've done it. I've done it. I've made my latest masterpiece. And I would love it if you guys can model as well. And that's when they find out that he has just made a model of red Bernadette's herring. head. And, yes, a red herring, but also you're <laughs> sick, Alfred. And I just I love the fact that it's just... Anytime I hear the fucking name Red Herring, dude, the first thing it makes me think of is a pup named Scooby-Doo. Because it was that fucking character, Red Herring, who every single fucking episode, <laughs> every episode. You know, Fred, would, Fred would blame him, and he'd be like, we mm-hmm. know it was you, Red Herring, and it never was. I think one yeah, episode no, I remember that. finally yeah. be him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I felt like that show was a fever dream at times, but anyway... Um, so the next day at school, Virginia and Anne are reprimanded by Mrs. Patterson because she does not believe their claims that they don't know where Bernadette is, and she forces them into after-school detention-type activities. 
I mean, they're right when they're like, why the fuck should we know where she is? Like, we, we don't know. We don't keep track. But, of course, Mrs. Patterson's had enough of their shit. Plus, she has to deal with Etienne being missing and having to make a call to the embassy where Etienne's father's works. Um, later, the students view the movie High Noon, especially since Virginia loves Gary Cooper, at the recreational hall. And that's when the uninvited Rudy shows up and starts a fight with Steve, who had accompanied Maggie, whom Rudy had previously been with. Rudy threatens Greg after Greg pulls him away from Steve. So that same night, Greg decides he has to work all this energy off from that fight, so he decides to lift some weights. When the unknown person in black clothing, someone he eventually knows, comes into the room, and at Greg's request, adds more weight. When it's too much, the person refuses to spot Greg, and the person drops the weight on his crotch, allowing the heavy barbell to fall and crush his throat. Amelia later arrives with pizza, finding the bedroom completely empty and clean of blood, except for the barbell set left behind the door, which crashes, causing Amelia to be scared. Um, there's not a spot of blood, so this killer is fucking efficient, as well as fucking dead. Mm-hmm. So the next day, following the school's soccer game, Rudy asks Virginia to meet him at the chapel. Afterwards, he's seen covering a partially buried Crawford Academy scarf in a flower bed. It'll show up later, Chekhov's gun. Virginia and Rudy go to the chapel bell tower together, and that's when Rudy mentions that Virginia is new, but she tells him that she was at the academy four years ago for about a few weeks and then had to leave. And then for some reason, Rudy decides to get really fucking weird for no apparent reason. You know, he starts acting like Quasimodo and following her around, and then he tells her, Virginia, I've got a knife. And that would freak her out like anybody would, but then he decides to become sinister and walk towards her with this glittering knife in his hand. And that's when he decides to slam that door to the ladder shut, seemingly threatening her. But then all of a sudden we see some blood drops appear on the floor below. As a priest walks in to ring the bell, the rope falls to his feet, cut by a knife. Noticing the blood, the priest shouts, murder, and runs from the church. It's a fucking confusing scene because we don't really know what fucking happened until later. Why is Rudy being so fucking menacing? Red herring, guys. Just like, what else could we do? He could be another killer because he's weird. So later, Virginia is with David, flashing back to where her head was cut open in the surgical operation after her accidents. Fucking gnarly scene that was actually played by a brain surgeon for this particular sequence and with a fake brain so they could add authenticity to this. Just fucking gnarly seeing all the fucking sutures in her head. What's that? It wasn't a real brain? No. No, it was fake. And they couldn't afford a real one. So they uh, immediately declare her fucking dead. And that's when she tells David about Rudy and the knife, and she panicked and can't remember anything else. So sometime later, at David's house, he hears the discovery of a bloody knife at the bell tower and the possibility of foul play over at uh, Crawford Academy. He then finds Virginia at the school and tries to persuade her to tell him exactly what happened at the bell tower. Before long, Rudy shows up in the library, scaring Virginia, and a skull is found in the campus garden, but they have to call Dr. Faraday outside because only he could find out if it's a real skull or not. To which she finds out that it was just one of the campus skulls that's used and it's property of the school itself. And it was a joke set up by Rudy. Um, but I just love the fact that he's got this fucking pimp gold chain on when he's fucking investigating the skull, Dr. Faraday. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is a property of Crawford Academy. Sorry, detective. And he fucking pats the guy on the back. And I was like, this is the complete opposite of Dr. Loomis. This is the fucking guy you want. The older guy that you know is banging his patients, wears that fucking gold chain. You know he probably does a couple of bumps of cocaine. 
every now and then. He's just that fucking cool. But Virginia even invites David to her birthday party, which he immediately is like, I'd love to come. Well, of course he would. She's turning 18, man. This is your time, David. You've been waiting for this. Have fun at her birthday party. But anyway, later on at the school's pool, um, which you would easily think is an aquarium because you could see into the bottom of the pool through a glass with everybody sitting around and talking about what could be happening with everybody. Alfred is suddenly missing. And then when Virginia looks to the pool, she sees that Maggie is beginning to sink down to the water. And then she looks over and smiles at uh, Virginia. But despite all this, she freaks out, um, gets into her car, and drives back to the cemetery again to sit at her mother's grave. But she's followed there by Alfred, who does show up, continuing to spy on her. But when Alfred gets too close, Virginia spins around and stabs him to death with a pair of gardening shears. All right, so there's a murderer, guys. This movie is over. Figured it out. There's nothing left to talk about. Uh, except there is, because there is more movie left. Because they're like, oh, we, we kind of exposed who the killer is, but we'll find out the twist, as we talked about. So the next morning, Hal discovers that he has to leave town for a business trip yet again. But he promises to be back on Sunday for Virginia's 18th birthday. You know, hey, invite some friends over. Have some fun. I'll be back, and then we can have some cake and some fun. So what does that fun involve? Uh, a random disco party. Have a few laughs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's the 80s. Do what you want. But instead, she decides to go to the school's disco party. It's not a homecoming party. It's not the prom. It's just disco. Because it's 1981, and the 70s didn't arrive in Canada until 1980. So disco is still fucking very new in Canada. So they're just taking full effect into this. Uh, if you see prom night, you'll know that they just didn't know what disco was. But they're excited to have it now. So at this disco party, Virginia meets up with Steve, and she invites him over to her place. But she seems kind of sinister in a way. She's kind of like, oh, I make the best midnight snacks. You should come over. And Anne is immediately kind of wondering why she would do that. You're going home with Steve? Well, yeah, of course I am. So, of course, Anne being concerned doesn't try to talk her out of it. She just lets her go. So back at the house, Virginia decides she's going to make some snacks, which involves shish kebabs on meat and things like that, just playfully talking to Steve, feeding him a little bit. But when she goes in to feed him another piece, she decides to jam that metal skewer into his mouth, killing him. It looked a lot better on the poster when Steve's name was John. Yes, Steve. Oh, I just said delicious. Yeah, well, I mean, it looked delicious, you know. (laughs) But uh, so after, of course, Steve is now dead, we cut to the next morning. Anne arrives and tells Virginia, I want to hear all the gory details about you and Steve last night. But Virginia doesn't seem to remember anything about last night. She doesn't even remember about going home with Steve. So she throws down her keys to Anne, tells her to let herself in. And as Virginia is showering, she flashes back to a rainy night with her irate mother, Estelle. As they are driving on the drawbridge, it opens, and the car therein falls into the river. Virginia manages to get out of the car, but her mother drowns in the process. While Virginia tries to swim to the surface, she suffers a severe head injury when she hits her fucking head on the bottom of a barge passing um, under the bridge. Of all the fucking places, of all the times for that barge to come through, it came through at that moment. And that's when Virginia awakens to a bathroom flooded with water, and she sees that Anne is now dead in the overflowing bathtub. But luckily, that bathroom floor has a fucking drain in it, so that water's going to be gone real soon, folks. And I was like, wow, what a feature. A bathroom with a drain in the floor next to the tub. That fucking rules. I wish all bathrooms. Well, you, don't have, my, you don't have something no. like that? 
No, my bathroom floods all the fucking time. It's really? My tub was built in the Oh, yeah. My, my fucking bathroom You need to talk flooded. to your landlord about this, King. I have for seven years. Believe me. They just patch it up and say that'll work until it fucking happens again. And they're like, oh, well, they're too cheap to buy a new tub. Mm-hmm. So, but keep in mind, my landlord is the same guy that just had to nail my window shut. So, <laughs> which I'm still trying to get them to fucking take the nails out. Um, so, anyway, frantically, Virginia calls Dr. David Faraday, who arrives over at the house. But when they go into the bathroom, Anne's body is no longer there. He tells Virginia that he'll stay the night and then tells her the next day that the police showed up at her house looking for the missing Anne after they found her abandoned car. David quickly kind of tells the cops, ah, she's asleep. I, you know, I'll, I'll wake her up when she gets up and I'll, I'll figure out what's going on and quickly kind of gets them to go away. Then David tells Virginia that she must remember what happened to the evening before the car accident. That's when we cut to a flashback where Virginia remembers that her mother wanted Virginia to have a birthday party at the old guest cottage that sits behind Virginia's house. But none of the other students decided to show up because there was a birthday party at Anne's house. Virginia's mother is fucking pissed at this point and also very fucking sauced. And she drives with Virginia over to Anne's house, demands to be let inside. When she is denied access by the gatekeeper, of all things, because I guess Anne's parents are fucking super sick rich. And Virginia mothers Everybody yells from the house on gate. Rich, though. This, this has been brought up multiple times, specifically by the headmistress. You know, we find oh, out yeah. that everybody, this is, this is just fucking wealthy, rich, fucking snooty, duty fucking people. Snooty, duty. Snooty, duty. But obviously, you get the sense that everybody is kind of affluent. Because, um, yeah, you're right. Like, Mrs. Patterson tells Virginia that, like, people have to fucking scratch and claw their way to get into this type of a school. And you guys all just kind of slid in because of people that have money, like your parents. But you just get that sense when that fucking guard at the fucking gate is like, yeah, we all know who you are, Estelle, you fucking whore. Like, you know, just fucking, you know, dressing her down in the fucking rain. And uh, we'll find out why a little later on. But, of course, uh, that's what causes the fucking accident. Um, and uh, Estelle's death. Virginia in this moment becomes extremely distressed and runs out of the room, only to return a minute later with a fireplace poker, which he uses to beat David to death with. Um, and then you just get the nice little blood splatter all over the room and all over her legs. Um, and a little later that evening, Hal, who finally manages to arrive home just in time for his daughter's birthday, comes home seeing that the blood all over Virginia's bedroom and runs outside into the rain looking for his daughter which he only finds a stunned Amelia holding a birthday present for Virginia. After finding David's corpse in the bushes, Hal heads to the cottage in which the back of the house weird. and discovers... Right, wasn't which it fucking was weird, weird that she just kind of threw the body in the, in the bushes? Like, she didn't put it at the birthday table? Well, not even that, that, but, like, she's just, she's just standing there. The girl's not dead. Oh, except for Amelia. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's just standing there with the gift in her hand. And that's it. Everybody likes a present. I mean, yeah, I get it. Everybody well, likes a present. But yeah. like, this girl obviously survives, I'm assuming. Well, she didn't look dead. She does. I would get it if maybe she, no. if she was on her knees or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, she should have been dead in front of the grave. And it looked like maybe she was, like, leaning and alive. And then he goes to pull her, and we get one of those, like, you know, classic 80s, body flopping over to the side with the fucking, you know, staring eyes. Wee, 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 kind of fucking moments. But, like, we don't get that. With the biting lips. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, man, you know, and, and this uh, is, but this is what happened with with Amelia. <laughs> Amelia's original death was she right was right going to get an axe to the face. She was going to get a fire axe to the face. Um, they filmed it. Fire they just axe, make like it not work. just a fucking axe, but an axe that was on yeah, fire. Yeah, it was going to be a. Big ass fire axe, yeah, like that. You know, firefighters use like a big fucking axe, um, and they oh, were gonna have it go God. right into her face, but they couldn't get the effects to work just right, so they filmed it. They thought it looked like shit, so they're like, "Well, we can't do that." So instead, they're just like, "You know what? We'll have her show up to the party with the present, and then she goes inside." But you know, obviously, the killer isn't in at that moment. She freaks out and goes outside, and she's just stunned, paralyzed with fear, and that's why you just see her holding that present in the rain because she doesn't know how to react. Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen the actual effect of the axe, but, you know, that just, it was completely just kind of deleted to time. So I don't think anybody has footage of that, but I would love to have seen it because it would have been a cool effect. But uh, Hal ended up going to the cottage. Yeah, it was described as a fire axe. It could have been just fucking any axe. But they, I remember reading in all the books that I've read about slashers in the 80s that they said it was a fire axe specifically. But who knows? Um, but all around the table, the dead bodies of all the students, Bernadette, Etienne, Greg, Alfred, Steve, Anne, along with the decomposing corpse of Virginia's mother stolen from her grave, are all displayed and set up. Um, the actor, Matt Craven, who played uh, Steve, he had the hardest fucking time of all of them because he had to sit there with his fucking poker uh, halfway out of his mouth uh, during the duration of the scene. So he had a very difficult time trying to be comfortable with this thing sticking out of his mouth. And then, of course, uh, Matt Blum, who played Alfred, uh, said that it was just fucking easy sitting there with the appliance of the gardening shears out of his chest. Um, but Virginia soon walks into the room with a birthday cake with fully lighted candles and singing happy birthday. Virginia blows out the candles and puts a party hat on her father's head as he slowly sinks down into a chair and just starts to sob, thinking that everything should have worked out. Everything that they told him would work out should have worked out, but it didn't. And, of course, Virginia's cutting the cake. Would you like a big piece, Daddy, or a small piece? And, of course, I'd go for the big piece. I mean, you're going to fucking die anyway. Why don't you go out on top? But he just can't. He's in shock at this moment. So instead, Virginia uses that large cake knife to slice him right in the throat killing him as he falls to the table, blood leaking onto the floor. And that's when Virginia walks over to Anne, who is laying face down on the table, your next bitch. And she lifts up her head, and it's actually Virginia at the table wearing Anne's clothes. What? So she awakens, looks up, and immediately struggles with her evil twin who says, I did it all for you, sister. Virginia eventually grabs the evil Virginia's face, tearing off a latex mask, and reveals Anne standing there. What the fuck? I mean, first of all, it's fucking amazing that they did this twist. But second of all, she got this mask that looks fucking exactly like Virginia. Alfred does amazing work. And that's why he fucking died for his craft. Because you know that he made that fucking mask for Anne. She probably gave him a fucking blowjob and said, just make me a fucking Virginia mask. And he's like, whatever you want. You know, and, and that's how you But you know, it's incredible. So, and... um tells Virginia that she would drug her and then dress up like her and kill people while disguised as Virginia. When Virginia asks Anne why, Anne tells her that Virginia's mother was really Anne's father's mistress, which means that the two of them are actually half-sisters. Anne tells Virginia that Virginia's mother would not let Anne's father ever forget it. Virginia suddenly turns against Anne for killing all her friends and her father and eventually stabs her. As Anne falls to the floor, she tells Virginia that it doesn't matter if she didn't kill her, she had orchestrated this whole thing to frame Virginia for all the killings. 
And just as Ann dies, a police officer walks in as Virginia is standing there before Ann's dead body, holding the bloody kick knife. Dear God. What did you what do? What have you done? Please. The police officer shouts. It's Virginia please. drops the kick knife and realizes way too late that the insane and murderous Anne had indeed gotten away with her final revenge because it's going to be strongly implied that Virginia will be arrested and get blamed for all the killings that Anne actually did with no possibility now to prove her innocence. Um, and that is the conclusion of happy birthday to me. With the what a downer. That we talked about. So it is a great kind of downer ending. It's very just kind of, you know, you see that the evil has technically won, but the innocent person going to jail. But the original ending was a lot more straightforward. Um, John Saxton, not John Saxton from Black Christmas and, and uh, Never on Elm Street, but John Saxton, who had actually written the script, he had written it pretty, he had written it pretty straightforward, where it was going to be revealed that Virginia was the killer. Virginia... Um, was straightforward going to be the killer who in one of the drafts she was just psychotic and for some reason her 18th birthday drove her to kill her friends and there was another idea that she was going to be possessed by her mother's spirit and her mother was actually the one doing the killings thus why Virginia doesn't remember anything that happened the night before with any of her friends and their deaths um, but John Lincoln uh, Andre Link rather yeah you could even have her uh, RIP, man. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> you could even have her just, you know, doing a revenge killing based on the fact that her mother died, you know. And even though it was her own mother's fault that, that she did die, you know, you could still turn around and say that, you know, this girl who was in this accident and fucked up her head, this is why she went and done it. Like, and again, I, I, I get the twist. It was, it was an interesting way to play it. I just, uh, you know, pulling off the fucking like super elastic. Like, you know, when she first picked her head up and it was her, that didn't surprise me. You know, because earlier in the movie when we saw her stab, uh, what's his face, um, Albert, in, in the graveyard yeah. or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. okay. They're twins. There's going to be two of them. And this is just the one thing that hasn't been mentioned. Maybe the one sister died in the accident, you know, and we just don't, we just haven't been told this yet. Now we're going to see this get played out in another movie called Sleepaway Camp. Um, like in this case here, you know, like when, when she picks up the head and it's her and I'm like, I got it right. They're twins. And then she calls her sister. And I'm like, damn, I really got this shit right. They're straight up fucking twins. But then the bitch starts peeling off her face as if it was like fucking Caladrill off of fucking Poison Ivy, you know, or like Elmer's glue, you know, back when we were like kids and shit. And I'm like, okay, I'm just not, not quite getting it at this point, you know. Like I hate when they do these types of things in movies because you know what? Like somehow not only did this girl like make her face look just like Virginia, she also acquired – all of her body features and her walking stature and like all of these things, you know what I mean? So it's like, and her voice, you know, like way to go. Like maybe if they did, like maybe if they gave us just her from like behind, you know, or like, you know, when like the father walks in, we don't clearly see that it's Virginia, the actress, you know, Melissa Sue Anderson or whatever her name is, um, you know, playing that role at that point. 
she turns around, cuts his throat, then starts to peel off the face. Then I'm like, okay, you know what? This is believable. You know, this girl kind of hid in the shadows all this time. Nobody ever gets a real good look at her. But, I mean, we as the audience clearly see that this is the other actress, and then she's, you know, revealing that, nope, 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 she's Anne. She's Anne all this time. Anne with the great pits. She's good. She was hot. Kitty. Tracy Bregman as Anne was hot. Like, I, I don't know, for the 80s, mm-hmm. hot, you know. She just had that great look, you know. But then again, they all clearly were like fucking twenty-year-olds playing high school students. Except for Melissa Sue Anderson, who's actually of age, to play like a high school student. The rest of them, like, clearly, they're fucking adults. But I just I love it when they did that back in the eighties. I miss that fucking so, well, era. Yeah, as well, as, well, I, well, yeah, I guess it is a. It's a. Yeah, I guess it is. Is it high school? I was gonna say because it's not college. Cause it's no, it's academy. High school. Yeah, it's, it's a private school. Oh. Okay, prep school. So, yeah, I, yeah, guess, I, mean, I guess they could be 18. You know, I don't know. Well, yeah, she's, she's turning 18. That's the whole premise exactly. that she's so turning 18. So they could 18, all be 18 so. and 19. You know, they're just, just, just mature for their age. It's the 80s, man. <laughs> the 70s, well, you know. But- Especially Rudy and fucking Steve, they both look like they're in fucking past uh, college. <laughs> you know, they have to get home to their parents, uh, their kids and shit. But uh, you know, um, but yeah, Tracy Bregman just uh, so hot, and and Leslie Donaldson, um, who played Bernadette at the beginning of the movie. I mean, she was in uh, Curtains, which is a great uh, slasher movie, um, and then uh, Funeral Home in 1980, the year before it. I always kind of wanted to see more of Leslie Donaldson, but she just never could kind of get that. Jamie Lee Curtis kind of uh, chance with a movie like Halloween, you know, but she was, you know, if you haven't seen either of those two movies, they're, they're both great eighties uh, slasher movies. Um, you know, funny enough, I know she didn't age well or anything. Right. But, uh, and I mean, mm-hmm. she's like the, I don't know. She's like a politician in Canada now and shit, but the chick that played Maggie, you know, there was just something like, Something like similar to you, I guess, where it's like '80s hot. She kind of looked like a younger version of the mom from Nightmare on Elm Street, and there was oh, just yeah. kind of like this, this, this look. Yeah, exactly. There was just kind of this look where I was like, you know, I might bone her, but I think it's because she just had fuck me eyes the entire movie. You know, she's always looking to fuck, uh, fuck Ronnie or whatever his name was, Rudy. Rudy. She was looking to bone yeah. Rudy. Rudy was looking mm-hmm. to bone fucking Virginia. Virginia was looking to fucking bone, I don't know, Dr. David fucking Faraday. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think you're talking about Lenore Zahn. I think she's the one that played Maggie. Um, I, I know, yeah, did I say the name wrong? Yeah, before? I mean, it's that, I mean, she doesn't look too bad, uh, you know, for, for current age, but I mean, I, she was also in a lot of episodes of X-Men, the animated series from 97, so. Dude, she uh, played Rogue, voice work. actually. She, she yeah, was, uh, so. <laughs> she played the, the voice of Rogue for the movie. Yeah, I was trying to think of the name because I was like, oh, still too bad. I remember seeing a picture not that long ago. But like, uh, like Tracy Bregman fucking aged fucking great. Like, there was a picture of her not that long because she was on um, a lot of the soap operas like in the late two thousands, like Bold and the Beautiful and Young and Restless. And I was like, oh, she aged fucking pretty well. But yeah, definitely get that vibe. I think, yeah, I think they're connected what? actually. Those two, so that would make sense. Oh, really? okay. I think the one was like a spin off of the other. Hmm. So she's probably the same character in both. And Ronnie Blakely definitely did have something of like, you know, that housewife you want to bang type of quality, especially in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then uh, she did an episode of Tell from the Dark Side. You you figure figure you get her fucking home, she's all lit, her mouth's open, you know, you just drop a load right down her throat. She doesn't even fucking know, you know. She wakes up the next morning. Did I eat something salty? 
fucking <laughs> shots. She's thinking she did tequila shots all fucking night, you know? It could be. Who knows? But, yeah, it's, it's one of those characters. You know, she was great in Nashville, too. Yeah, Ronnie Blakely. I, that, talk about somebody who didn't really particularly age well. And I was like, ugh, poor Ronnie Blakely. Yeah, well, we just, saw she her was hot in the 80s. Up in, uh, up in Massachusetts when we went. And, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, she's just an older woman, you know what I mean? So, But I, I know when we met her uh, at Chiller Theater that one time, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she was uh, – she also was quite grumpy, you know. So, so that was kind of a bummer too. Uh, she, she, she wasn't like very thrilled to be there. It didn't, didn't seem like. Uh, uh, yeah, it's always a bummer. Playing, playing a role, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, we went to that one short theater where we we saw Joey Warren Adams, who was fucking all pissed off because she just wanted to go outside and have a cigarette, and people were like, "Hey, I love you and chasing Amy." It's like, well, it's gonna happen. <laughs> what do you think is yeah, going to happen? What does Joe Lord Adams think is going to happen when she goes to a fucking convention? I mean, come on. People are going to leave her alone and not want to talk about fisting? I don't know. I mean, shit. <laughs> I don't know. Fucking be happy that anybody, like, recognizes you. You know what I mean? Because, you know, that that's really what it comes down to is, you know, in a few years, people might even not even fucking know who the fuck you are anyway. That's true. So yeah. what? You, yeah, who the you were in a little you are, anyway. fucking Kevin Smith movie, and you got fucking fisted. You know, but says, you <laughs> like girls. I'm a lesbian. We got to see your tits and mall rats, so thank you for that, Joey Warren Adams. That's yeah, about yes, it. Um, but, yeah, that uh, is Happy Birthday to Me from 1981. Uh, next week, Dean, it is your film pick of the week, and what are we talking about? Uh, it is my pick of, of the week, and I think what we're going to do is we are going to watch something uh, from 2022 called mm-hmm. Flux Gourmet. Flux Gourmet. Uh, it's available on Shutter. Hmm. Um, I'll look it up after the show. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Like you brought this up, uh, I think, on the show at one point. I might have talked about it. It's been on my list for a bit. Um, But it's on Shudder. It's on Hulu. um, It's on AMC Plus. Um, It's Mm -hmm. available out there um, in many different places uh, Mm -hmm. for those of you to watch. Flux Gourmet from 2022. Now, uh, here's just a quick note uh, that I would like to add about uh, next week's show. Uh, So... Mm -hmm. um, Please, I don't want to. I'm, 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 I'm not needing to to miss uh, the show, but uh, as I have the previous several years, I coach my school's basketball team, and our season starts, uh, you know, this week when we return from the break, and our first game uh, is Wednesday at 5:15. Uh, the game should end like right a few minutes before six o'clock. So I will be a little bit late to join the show. So just maybe have some things to talk about. I can't say for certain how many minutes I might be late, but I would imagine I would probably be on uh, no later than 630 uh, my time. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you have a couple of news items or a couple of things to talk about, um, I will definitely be on it. Definitely to, to have some, a little bit of news and to talk about the movie. Oh, well, we've got plenty of wrestling stuff we could talk about fill up that fucking time. Oh, how yeah. exciting. Yeah, oh, please. Yeah, we could fill up the whole hour before the movie if you want us to, please. we got this. Yeah. Oh, Go on, it's time it. to shine. Be a wrestling fucking marks. 
as we talk about the Flux uh, Buffet or Gourmet. Gourmet. Yeah. All right. So yeah. All right. So yeah. Next week uh, it is the the Dean Gourmet Flux Gourmet. 2022. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dean, for joining us. For happy birthday to me. We'll see you back here next week for your film pick of the week. Yes, I'm looking forward to to getting a chance to talk about this film. I haven't seen it yet, so um, you know it's not even like. Hopefully, I, I will like it, um, but I'll be looking <laughs> forward to talking about it, uh, regardless of any of those things. So, um, see you all in a week. Okay. All right. It's a team cool. pick, Thank so you, so you all know how much we look forward to those. It's going to be so fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, look, I it's mean, gonna be if, great. Want, if, 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 if it's going to be like that, I can change my pick and certainly come up with something, uh, you know, <laughs> no, that, you'll, that you'll really no, be looking forward like to that. on that. No, 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 it's, no, it's okay. It's all about having fun. It's all about having fun on the show and we i enjoy having these different discussions and kind of you know we beat up on my picks all the time believe me i pick some shit movies sometimes but <laughs> i happen do. to like them so we we all have those but either it's going to be fun either way you know it's a so new King year new show mm-hmm. on on that note uh have you ever uh made so you say you make some 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 weird picks too but you like them uh my mm-hmm. my question is uh, have has there ever been something uh, that you have picked for the show that perhaps you hadn't seen before that that you did not like a pick of your own that you did not like? No, I only pick movies I like, but I pick movies that I know that I think you guys that might like because I'm I like I love Jawa movies so I'm always talking about Jawa movies so you guys are probably gonna hate them but I picked them and I know that you guys are probably gonna fucking shit. You know, but I just like talking about them, and I like the fact that you now have seen them, and it gives you a sense of my taste of horror. You know, as you know, I love 70s Italian giallo movies and slashers of the 80s, so, uh, like, I can tell you, they're, they're not great. I mean, a lot of these giallos I pick aren't the fucking quality that you'd want them to be, but I enjoy talking about them, like, just like all these movies. I like doing the narration, and I like taking the notes, and I like uh, breaking it down with you guys, and... You know, we could have as many laughs as you want. Like, I don't, not uh, taking it as seriously as I used to, where I'm like, oh, fuck, if the guys don't like this movie, everything's over. The show's going to suck. No, actually, sometimes it makes for a better episode when, you know, if you guys don't necessarily like it, because we could just kind of riff on it. So, kind of taking that stance. You know, last year was my kind of revenge tour, if you will. Well, this year's just going to be like, you know what, let's just have some fun. Let's just have some fun with my picks. It might not be the greatest, but... You know, let's just have fun either way. Like you said, well, it's Fox Gourmet. I'm looking forward to fucking watching it because I haven't seen it. So, you know, whether it's great or whether it's shit, we'll find out. We'll put the Talking Terror spin on it, as we always do. So yes, I'm we looking will. forward to this new year, of new year of new picks, of new horror, both in the theater, new both on the show. That's right, folks. New and improved. So, anyway, uh, go, yeah, we're go gonna ahead and sign yourself up. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fuck. Talking Terror no, fucks here. Oh, yeah. It's going to yeah, be wild, we're just, dude. We're starting with your fucking pick, Fox Gourmet. Oh, Fox oh, Gourmet, baby. Clever. You clever little devil. Oh, nice. I fucks yeah. with it. I fucks with it a lot. <laughs> I'm going to fucks all over it. <laughs> well, fucks fucks you know, I, I, have, yeah, <laughs> I have had this one on, on my list for a bit, but I got I got like two others that were like, like higher up on, on the depth chart, but 
I'll save those for future picks because I want to make sure that I'm 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 there for full episodes uh, for some of those. But I'm excited for awesome. this one. It's been on my list for it's been on my list for quite some time. All right. Well, then let's have some fun with it. You know, and I'm looking forward to checking it out. And and fucks for me, fucks for me, whatever it is, is flux and fucks and and suck it next week with a twist. But, all right. With a twist. Hope with a twist. Love twists. All right, go on and go ahead and sign yourself off as we close out this episode. Let's fuck and stay scared. I couldn't have said it any better myself. As always, I'm your old pal, the king of horror, Andy G. Thanking you for listening to this episode of the show. Next week, we'll be talking about Fuck Score May, the Dean's Film Pick of the Week. But until then, hail yourself, hail Satan, hail Odorous. Watch horror movies, keep America strong, and we'll see you back here next week, folks.